Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of GP Cast. Grateful to be with you. We are going to continue in kind of meeting the staff and talking through um, not only their lives, but some of their interactions with ministry here at the church. And so I uh, want to give you guys just a window into the people that you see on Sundays, the people that are leading the ministries, um, not only into their personal lives, but also into what's going on uh, in their ministry currently. And so I have the honor today of sitting across from Mr. Wayne Williams. Hello, Wayne. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, I want to talk through um, some stuff that not only just personal and, and your upbringing and how you arrived, but then I also want us to, to look at what's going on and what you're overseeing in terms of um, the discipleship, spiritual formation, global partners, all those things that you're kind of over and, and leading um, here at Greater Portland. And I think what's interesting for me, especially even in interviewing you, is just that there's a history that you have with the church that um, is different in your interactions with others because of the different hats that you've worn. And so there's so many people that know you really well, especially because of just what ends up coming across when people preach regularly over years that you learn right. stories about their lives and different things. And so it's interesting because my my interactions with you have been just the last nine months. And so they've just been within the capacity that you're serving in now. Um, but I did interview you for a school thing right when I started that uh, was on a biblical leadership class. And so it was cool to kind of get to hear some of your story and what you've experienced. And that's what I am hoping will be a part of what people can hear from you is just how you have arrived at where you are now in ministry and in life and in all that together. Um, but let's start with just the beginnings. So you are, you are not from the great state of Oregon, correct? That's correct. Yeah, my dad was a Navy a career, and so I lived uh, all over the place uh, for the first 12 or 13 years of my life. Uh, lived on Guam a couple of times, uh, San Diego, other Southern California places, uh, Illinois, uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, finally is where he retired from, and then so I was about 13, I think, when we moved here after he retired. He'd been in the Navy for 20 years, retired at age 38. Wow. From the Navy. And uh, the Navy said, we'll move you anywhere you want to go in the world. And he had uh, gotten a job here in Portland. And so we drove across country and settled in here. And I was just... Uh, entering the eighth grade. So since that time, we've lived here. Uh, my family and uh, my wife and our family have lived here in the Portland area, mostly Southwest Portland, Tigard, Beaverton, that whole time. Since then? Since then, yeah. So how was, how was all of that moving as a military family? Was it the sort of thing where you would get frustrated because you couldn't really develop strong roots in places or, I mean, even as a young kid, I feel like that would be hard with friendships to yeah, well, it was, say goodbye. There's good stuff and bad stuff about it. You know, it was, uh, it seemed like we always moved in the middle of the school year. Hmm. So I was always a new kid in the middle of a class. I remember 
in Texas, uh, Spanish is a required class, and I uh, came in the middle of the Spanish class, and the first day I was there, they had a test. <laughs> and, I, and I just uh, you know, had no idea what to do about it. Right. Um, but so, uh, yeah, so it was always uh, not too many friendships or that were long-lasting. Uh, we knew who our cousins were, mm. uh, grandparents, but seldom saw them. Yeah. Um, uh, but on the other hand, uh, you learn how, first of all, to blend in pretty mm. quickly. Uh, and secondly, uh, how to adapt. So, you know, I've been able to adapt in, in my work uh, internationally with some, some people. Uh, they have said, you, you fit in really well here, you know, and that was surprising to me, but it's part of that thing that uh, the Lord built into me through all that moving around. Yeah, yeah, that makes, and that makes sense because you would have to constantly shift and adjust, and mm -hmm. especially Guam, that had to have been a big adjustment compared to even just from state to state. Yeah. Well, as a kid, you don't understand. And I think I was probably third or fourth grade when we lived there gotcha. the second time. And, uh, well, it's a lovely place and, you know, shorts and flip-flops year round. And, <laughs> right. Uh, That's um, real nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And then did you, uh, did you grow up with, uh, like in a, faith-based home your parents were they yeah. believers yeah mom and dad both kind of came alive spiritually after i was born probably within the first year or two of my birth and uh uh became just very devoted followers of jesus um, and raised us that way my dad actually explained the gospel to me when i was six years old and wow and i uh Trusted Christ, a very distinct memory. One of the best, or most distinct memories from my childhood is, you know, kneeling beside my bed with Dad and praying the prayer, and wow, and it was genuine. It was it was real, and I saw changes as I look back. Um, uh, and uh, so, uh, and then you know, Dad was uh, always a deacon or an elder in whatever church we were a part of. While we were in the Navy, he was always, uh, mom and dad, always inviting sailors over uh, <laughs> to church and then to dinner and uh, holidays with them and uh, always involved either in the chapel program or in a, um, a local church. Gotcha. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so they set quite the model. Uh, when we moved here, I remember that uh, we were attending a small Bible church, and uh, whenever that church would have a guest speaker, my mom felt it was her duty to have them over for dinner. Oh, wow. And so there was a parade of missionaries and regional preachers, and uh, they would come through our home, and you know, we'd sit around the dinner table and talk about things, and I'd listen to them and remark at you know, their dedication. And, and, uh, and you still do that today with a lot of our global partners and well, we try to yeah, try to do something special for them when they're back. Um, we had uh, Luis Palau probably two or three times oh, wow. uh, uh, for lunch. Uh, had the Jews for Jesus team stayed with us for three or four days when they were in town. Uh, so it was we were exposed to a lot of ministry people yeah. growing up, and it should be no surprise then that of my siblings. Uh, 
brother, sister, brother after me, that all of us brothers are in ministry. Oh, wow. And my sister is an active volunteer uh, ministry in her church. Uh, so they left quite a legacy. Yeah, it sounds you know, like it. It's, uh, it's good. And Dad uh, died in 2002. Uh, he would be 101 next month. Wow. And my mother died, I think, about three years ago. She'd be 97. Okay. Uh, just a week ago was her birthday. Wow. Um, yeah, so they left a good heritage. Uh, Dad was an elder in his last church for years and years and years. Wow. And then Mom was, uh, and Dad both active in the missions program because my next youngest brother was a Bible translator with Wycliffe. Oh, and so cool. they were actively supporting him as well as the other missionaries that church had. Wow. Yeah, so. So you're, so you're the oldest. Mm-hmm. So are you like, were you the typical, like running things, bossy older kid and in charge and directing everybody else? You know, I never... Because you don't give me that sort of right. vibe. I never felt that way. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised to learn after I was out of the house and that, uh, you know, my brothers and sister really looked up to me and, and uh, thought I was... Uh, really smart or whatever, but, <laughs> you know, my next brother, Paul, who's a translator, is, is just intelligent beyond understanding and being able to do that kind of translation work and create a language for a, a, a people that didn't have one. Uh, that's all pretty amazing to me. And my youngest brother is a, a worship pastor in Marysville, Washington, been there for 30 years. Wow. Great relational person, great talent musically. Uh, my sister is creative beyond understanding, and uh, in fact, all of my siblings, both brothers and sister, are very musical. Mm. So somehow that passed me and landed on them. <laughs> and uh, There's no musical bone in your body. Oh, you know. I mean, you enjoy music. Yeah, yeah. And I played. Uh, I was in the band in high school. What'd you play? Hey, clarinet and then bass clarinet because <laughs> that seemed more manly. Yeah, yeah, right, totally. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, I used to sing a little bit, but uh, that became less encouraging and less uh, <laughs> helpful to other people. So. Yeah. so then you would shy away from it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's cool to hear about, like, your parents and the foundation that they set, and then also how, in a lot of ways, like that, those things especially the good things, because I'm sure there were, like any situation, home life, there were some not great parent things and mm -hmm. family things. And so it's cool to hear, though, even the things that were the most impactful on the mm -hmm. positive ends are things that you've replicated even in your own life. And so, so you move here when you're 13, and then uh, did you go to college right out of high school? Yes. Um, went to Seattle Pacific College for about a year and a half till I ran out of money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paulette and I dated through high school off oh, okay. and on. And so, and we were involved with Youth for Christ. Gotcha. And there were a number of people in Youth for Christ that went to Seattle Pacific. So we said, well, let's go there too. So we 
we went. She ran out of money after a year, and I took me about nine months later to run out. And uh, we transferred to Portland State. Uh, and um, so finished there. Uh, uh, and you guys were dating this whole time? We were, yeah. That's a... <laughs> That's a romantic drama story that totally, she'll have to tell you sometime. But. I totally wish that everybody that was listening right now could see the, the face that you just made. <laughs> we dated off and on through high school. She was my first date ever, and it was a group date with the church, a mm. uh, trip to Mount Hood. Uh, and uh, then uh, every summer, she would go to her grandmother's in Banks, Oregon, to work in the strawberry fields and the canneries and things. And so somehow we always ended up splitting up just before summer. And, uh, but then, uh, uh, we're, you know, a couple t together in, uh, Seattle Pacific and we went there, um, got engaged, I think in our sophomore year, maybe, and then got engaged again because the first one fell apart. Uh, married her junior year. Gotcha. At, down here in Portland. And, um, and how old were you? <laughs> that's a funny story, too. <laughs> I was 20. Okay. But back in that day, uh, you weren't a, a guy, a man was not allowed to sign a wedding license until he was 21. Oh, wow. So at 20, I had to have my mommy go with me to the courthouse <laughs> to sign the, the uh, wedding license. Uh, but that was 54 years ago. Yeah. Next month. Uh, wow. So, wow. Yeah. 54 years. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's a long time. Well, you know, the Lord's very gracious, and Paulette, I think, is even more gracious and yeah. patient. But, uh, yeah, it's endured. That's awesome. And then you guys have kids of your own. Mm -hmm. So how many children? And We have four sons, and they're all in their 40s and 50s now. And no daughters? Just daughters-in-law. Poor now. Paulette. She was the only lady of the house, huh? Yeah. She gave up on the toilet seat thing. <laughs> uh, and uh, Paul was a great parent and uh, wanted uh, to do things with our sons that would... Uh, make them better husbands, mm. uh, always thinking about their future wives, you know, so they had to learn to do the dishes and wash the clothes and do chores around the house and, yeah. and, uh, treat women with respect. And, um, so that was really great. Uh, and, uh, so they have, uh, between the four boys or sons, we have uh, 14 grandchildren. Wow. Seven of each kind. Dang. Uh, male and female, and they range, the grandkids range from 30 years old to eight years old. Wow. That's quite yeah. a, that's quite a pack. It's quite a tribe. Yeah. Are there times where you guys are all together or is it yeah, hard? Yeah, we, we so try to, it's getting harder and out. there's, you know, uh, probably two, three, four, five, six of the grandkids are out of the home now. Wow. College or working, and uh, so s scheduling is always an issue. Yeah. Yeah, so 
sometimes now we're just in the mode of planning something and saying, here's when we're doing it, come if you can. Right. You know, and, uh, but it's a, it's a, a delightful chaos when we're all together. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. So when you, uh, T- t- talk to me about how you got into ministry. Did you go to school? Like, were you in school for church work, or did what did you go to? Okay. How, how did that? Uh, when happen? we were in college, mm-hmm. uh, we uh, got connected to Campus Crusade for Christ, and um, kind of a fluke. I was still in Seattle and Paula was here in Portland, but uh, there was a group of businessmen in Seattle who said they would pay so much per person for anybody who wanted to drive students down to a week-long Campus Crusade conference in Southern California. And I did the math and figured out, hey, I could take my fiance Paulette and four other people in the car and the whole week in Southern California would be free and it would be, <laughs> it was uh, spring break week. Oh, nice. So, yeah, great beaches and, you know, resort we're staying at and all of this. Well, uh, that's one of the, the first time we ended our engagement just before we left on this trip. So <laughs> the ride down was full of uh, it was tense. drama. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, but that week uh, at with Campus Crusade is where we really learned how to walk in the Spirit, how to live by faith, uh, heavy emphasis on the grace of the Lord for us. And it really did change both of us. And when we came back, it seemed like we immediately got into ministering in our church with uh, youth, high school and junior high, uh, discipling and teaching and, and uh, uh, and then, of course, we were married in December of our junior, my junior year, and kind of had already determined, without talking about it too much, although we did verbalize it to each other, that we wanted to, really to have a ministry mindset, what we called it, and so that uh, whenever we were anywhere, we would be involved in, in uh, serving somehow. And that's kind of been our pattern. Any church we've gone to, we want to find how to get involved right away. Mm. Uh, so that's just kind of been a mentality. And then uh, after college, I went into the Navy for a couple of years and stayed with Campus Crusade, was on associate staff, which means that I did Campus Crusade work, but the Navy paid me for it. Oh, wow. Awesome. And, uh, although I had a regular Navy kind of job, but... Uh, we were involved with the chapel and again always with the local church and and about uh, two years into my navy uh, experience i was saying to paulette you know the navy just gets in the way of what i really want to do my job is interfering with my ministry and we were leading some bible studies and working we actually started a coffee house on base and some things like that back in the day and through a series of circumstances, um, the Lord got me out of the Navy probably three years earlier than I had obligated to. Oh, wow. And so I was out on a December 31st, and I was in seminary on January 6th. <laughs> wow. Moved from Alameda, California, to back to Portland to go to seminary. And 
not intending to be a pastor, but I wanted to learn how to teach the Bible better and, and just uh, uh, minister in that way. And then uh, my senior year, uh, there's a church uh, asked me to come and be a pulpit supply for six weeks. Little bitty country church out in Gales Creek, which is oh, wow. a dozen miles west of Forest Grove in the foothills of the coast range. And after six weeks, they said they wanted me to stay and be the real pastor. Uh, and they couldn't pay hardly anything, but I was still getting a GI Bill for seminary. And, uh, you know, some family kicked in some money, and so we were able to stay there and, uh, for two and a half years. But that's where the pastor thing started. Gotcha. Uh, funny story. Uh, when I first started out there, I realized I was going to be the one, you know, the guy for a while. I told my wife, I said, you know, I love to teach. I want to do that, and I want to lead this church. Two things I don't ever want to have to do, though, is counseling and uh, hospital visitation. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I ended up, over time, becoming a professional counselor. And then uh, even in the couple of years we were out there, I, I knew the floor plan of every hospital in Portland. <laughs> Uh, from so many visits uh, out there, you're the country parson, and anybody who gets sick or in the hospital, you go see them. Right. So, um, and so since then, I, anytime I really want something very bad, I tell the Lord I don't want it, mm. in the hopes that maybe I'll yeah, actually yeah. get it. Right. Know, <laughs> yeah. A little reverse how, psychology on yeah, Jesus. God loves know? reverse psychology. Yeah. He's a big yeah. fan. Dang. So you were out there for a couple of years, yeah. and then how? What was that journey like to then end up at Greater Portland? Well, uh, when we basically couldn't survive on the salary anymore out there, and the GI Bill had stopped, and so uh, uh, it was either just be part-time pastor there and get a, a, a job out, you know, in the area somewhere. And I thought, you know, I've been through as many years of seminary and all this thing, I, I really feel like I need to be full-time, not part-time. And so I uh, let my name out there in a church here not too far from Greater Portland ended up calling me uh, just a couple miles from here. And uh, we stayed there for 13 years. Wow. And uh, Were you the lead pastor? Yeah. Yeah. We started out about 75 people in the church and over five or six years, we grew to almost 200. Wow. And then it started declining. Mm. And uh, after several, four or five years of trying different things to really turn that around, uh, it wasn't working and uh, people got discouraged and some of them came to Greater Portland. And, mm. uh, and after a while, I finally said, you know, I think it, we need to let somebody else try this. Yeah. And so I resigned and had done some thinking and some consulting with people and uh, decided I wanted to pastor people mm. instead of churches. And yeah. so I went to, went to counselor school uh, and uh, for about six months after I resigned there, we looked for a church, church shopping, and it settled on two. Greater Portland was one of them. It was near where we lived. Another one in Beaverton that we liked. Paulette didn't want to come here to Greater Portland <laughs> because it was so big at the time. There were like 1,200 people at that time. Yeah. And we were looking for something that was more two, 300, you know. So 
but ended up, we still had two boys in the home in high school and felt like it was important for them to be connected to a youth group and had the, thought the chances of them getting connected here. And it was pretty, pretty aggressive, uh, exciting kind of youth group at the time. And so uh, we said, well, let's go there for their sake so they can get connected. And I'm glad we did because it really made a difference for them. Oh, wow. And, but I had been, you know, after trying to turn that church around unsuccessfully, I was kind of not wanting to get back into church ministry very much at yeah. the time. It was kind of a, a uh, uh, dis, disillusioned, discouraged time for me. Hmm. Uh, but we ended up coming here. Paulette made me promise we'd get in a small group to counteract. Bring the, the size the, the, down. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, Actually, we joined uh, Steve Muir's group. They were meeting out in Tualatin at the time. Uh, I seldom went because I was in school, and I was working in construction in the daytime and then going to school at night, and uh, seldom had that night free or uh, you know, without other obligations. So, so that went on. Uh, eventually here... Uh, we were part of a class, a Sunday morning class for adults that was about our age range. I think we called it prime time, was the class. <laughs> and uh, the teacher uh, was a friend of mine, and so he would ask me once in a while to substitute for him. And then he left. Oh, wow. And I would end up being the teacher in the class. Uh, and I was starting to get more engaged you know, with the church. And, and uh, uh, once I finished school and the time freed up a little bit, we uh, got involved leading a small group. Uh, and then, again, over a number of years, I uh, was an elder for a term. While I was an elder, I really realized I was a practitioner mm. and not a policymaker uh, and not a decision maker. And so served one term and then stepped off the board and tried to stay active in teaching the class and leading the class in a small group. Um, so for the first 15 years, and this was 1991 when we started, to act, in fact, we were here the first Sunday, the second Sunday after the church moved into this building. Oh, wow. And so that was 1991, 30 years ago. Yeah. And for the first 15 of the years, I was a guy in the pew. Yeah. And uh, involved in ministry again as much as I could be. And then the Lord brought some things uh, here to Greater Portland that really turned my heart back to church ministry mm. uh, and, and to more leadership ministry. And so I started nagging. Lynn Kent, who was a pastor at the time, I thought, uh, position came open, I applied for it. Uh, that happened a couple of times and nothing came of it. Uh, I actually applied to some other churches uh, in the area and nothing came of that. Okay, so I'm just going to be happy with the, right. the, the little bitty flock that I'm caring for now. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, uh, Lynn did ask me to come on as the uh, to take part of his responsibility, which was the the senior adults. And that's ten hours a week. Uh, didn't have an office. 
the ladies in the office put a little rolling cart together with a laptop and a you know and that was yours and paper and pencils <laughs> and stuff and that was my office and wherever nobody was here I'd go park in their office and when I was uh, working um, ultimately uh, that hours increased a little bit and then uh, Lynn resigned retired and uh, by that time I think it was up to 24 hours uh, still part-time and I was still working two other jobs and uh, um, uh, then uh, the pastor that followed Lynn, Todd Morrison, after a year or so asked me to be uh, his executive pastor. No more hours, uh, just you know, more oversight of things. Yeah, which I thought was the right fit. Yeah, uh, I felt really like I was kind of shaped to be a, a second guy. Far. Yeah, and uh, and then after three years, Todd resigned all of a sudden, and. Uh, by then, we had lost quite a few pastors just because the money was gone and the attendance was decreasing. And so I kind of looked around. It was me and a youth guy and, and Joyce, uh, as I recall. And, wow. and I was the only one that had lead pastor experience, and I was the oldest guy. And so the elders said, hey, would you come in and hold this thing together, keep the ship afloat until we figure out what to do? Hmm. And, okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I was able to quit one of the other jobs I had uh, and uh, go full-time here, uh, knowing it was temporary lead, but the elder said, we'll keep you on full-time after we get somebody. But then, never happened. Mm. You know, we never even looked for another lead pastor, and I ended up being in that role officially for eight or nine years. Wow. Uh, and it were good years. Yeah. Some of the best career and ministry years of my life, and it seems like it was the right uh, combination of experience and training uh, and the, the time of the church, what the church was going through at the time, uh, was the combination was great. The Lord had a plan all along, and we just all of a sudden realized we had stepped into it. Mm. And uh, yeah, so there were good years. Uh, yeah, but then, you know, I told the elders even when we, they first invited me to do that that I'm not going to be here. I mean, I'm old already. I'm not going to be your 20-year pastor. So you have to be thinking now about somebody younger to yeah. come on. And it took eight or nine years, but then we did. Uh, they allowed me to step back into a more of a part-time role uh, and uh, you know found first Jay and then after he left found Greg and uh, so it's now I'm part-time and just enjoying what I get to do yeah you still have a lot of responsibility though under that part-time in terms of the ministries that you're leading yeah it seems like it uh, <laughs> When I was a lead pastor, everybody else was doing stuff, and I just got to watch, you know. And, right. And now I'm doing the stuff. Doing the stuff, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you, I mean, you oversee these different things here at Greater Portland, but that's got to be, I mean, such an interesting transition to go from leading the church and then handing that off. I mean, even even being self-aware enough to go, hey, I know I'm not your 
20-year guy. I'm not the next big mm-hmm. chunk of time for Greater Portland to be under. And so then when you hire someone on, like Greg or Jay, you know, and hire someone on to then stick around knowing that they're going to drive it and they could drive it another direction or, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these things where that responsibility that was on you is now someone else's mm-hmm. isn't always the easiest transition for people. And I think some of that kind of speaks to your own self-awareness of knowing like, okay, no, I know, like, I like this other spot. I like being the support. I like, you know, that sort of self-knowledge I think yeah. is really helpful. Well, when I stepped into that role, the church was in a state of turmoil for yeah. a variety of reasons. And it became apparent that my role over the next few years was to stabilize things. And I think uh, we entered a, a period of unity and stability and uh, spiritual maturity for the church that was remarkable. Yeah. And that was really great. Do you think a lot of your counseling background played into that? Oh, yeah. I think yeah. the pastoral training and the counselor training, you know, made a uh, made my message and uh, personality even what the church needed at the time. But I also knew that stability can become complacency. Mm, right. And that we needed to move to more outreach. We needed to begin looking beyond ourselves and... And that was the next level for the church, and I was not the one to do that. Yeah. That was not my gifting or skill set. So that's we're looking for somebody like Greg, uh, who does that. Right. But at the same time, we wanted to raise. I wanted to raise the the external, outward focused uh, emphasis, mm-hmm. without minimizing the, the spiritual maturity and nurturing that had been going on. And right. so I, I think that's happening, and I'm really glad for that. Yeah. But um, because of my relationships here, uh, you know, 15 years, I was just one of the guys, and, and people got to know me and right. trust me. And, and, uh, 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 and because of, again, you know, what the Lord's taken me through in terms of experience and training, that I can still bring that nurture, that uh, spiritual growth emphasis, yeah, uh, which is uh, what Greg has given me permission to work on primarily. Well, not primarily, but one of the things. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think, too, yeah, that level of um, self-awareness and knowing, like, okay, here's, here's the way that God's equipped you. Here's the way that he's trained you up through your experiences yeah. and, and all that, and then to be able to, confidently step into that because I feel like especially within ministry it can be hard for a lot of people and I even find myself doing that where I'm like I like doing this thing or this thing feels good but Mm -hmm. then it takes is that it takes the self-awareness to go even though I like this thing is that what is best for me to be doing or Mm -hmm. even if I like and and being able to navigate that and go Okay, this is, and I think a lot of times that comes through external affirmation of people saying, like, you're doing this really well. And it's not just your own perception of thinking, like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing it really well when you're not. But hearing from other people and that affirmation coming from places you respect and that you would trust their judgment to go, hey, I I think you got this. Did you receive a lot of that during that time where people were like, you are bringing healing, you are bringing stability, and... 
yeah, there were quite a few comments about right person at the right time in the yeah. right place. And um, did you feel that at the time, or is it more like now you look back in retrospect and you go, "Oh my gosh, that was such a good well." I think it uh, it became I became aware of that after two or three years. Gotcha. Uh, that oh wait, you know this is. There's some st something historic going on here in the church, right, right. and and honestly, I had when they asked me to do the lead uh, temporarily, even I had no vision, I had no strategy, I had no idea what I'm going to do. People would ask me, uh, you know, kind of insistently, "So, what's your vision for the church?" I said, "I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I think we're supposed to make disciples, you know, right? But, yeah, love Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and." Uh, and so, uh, again, kind of a long story, but I'd been exposed actually by one of my sons several years before that to some uh, a doctor of ministry seminar that was on uh, uh, the, the music store. Uh, and uh, so I listened to that, and it was about preaching Christ to the uh, modern generation to the postmodern generation and it was uh, uh, where I was first introduced to Tim Keller mm. and his emphasis on helping people see Jesus to make him visible through the sermon if the sermon is a, a worship experience not a not primarily a teaching experience although that has to be there mm -hmm. it's primarily in, intended to provoke worship mm -hmm. and and so that really uh, impacted me and uh, I had always been, I thought, a pretty good preacher, focusing on Christian principles for living and the power of the Spirit. Um, but this was something in addition to that. Mm. And so I was still teaching a class when I first started seeing this. So I'm going to try that in the class. And so I was doing some of that there. And then when it came time to be uh, preaching more consistently, I thought, well, yeah, I've been doing it there. I think I enjoy it. I think I'll keep doing it and hope it works, you know. Yeah. But what happened was that, that, you know, people began to see Jesus and have these, you know, not big emotional experiences, but have this experience in worship of, wow, isn't he something? Mm -hmm. Talking about Jesus. Yeah. You know, and, and while there had been several things that uh, there were disagreement about in the church, those all of a sudden became secondary and Jesus became primary. And, you know, we started talking about having a Jesus-centered church, and what we meant was we're looking to him, and we love him, and we follow him. And that was not anything I had planned or thought would happen. I had no idea about what would happen with that, but the Lord really used that. to. That's where the unity came from. That's where the, you know, the stability came from. Mm. And it was, I was riding the wave of what the Lord had going on already. Yeah. And it was a, a great time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and that, and that was really cool, I think, for me to step into because of uh, at the last church I was at, I remember us hitting that transition. Like every every week needs to be about the gospel. Like every week yeah. needs to be about Christ. And so I remember walking through that. And so then to arrive here and that already be a piece of like not only what was talked about on Sunday morning, but just how ministry was like each individual ministry was 
a Christ-centered ministry and understanding yeah. that that was really nice to walk into because then when, when those other things become secondary, it doesn't mean that they're not important. What it means is they're subject to, right. but how does this fit under who Jesus is and what yeah. the gospel is rather than the other way around where yeah. it's something else. Yeah, we have freedom to disagree about things uh, without, you know, minimizing our love for each other uh, when we see that issue through the eyes of Jesus and see each other through His eyes. Yeah, and so it's it's, uh, it's been very transforming for me as yeah. well. Yeah, and then with the with the roles and the things that you're doing now, um, how do you? Because I think there's a lot that happens behind the scenes for people on staff at churches and pastors specifically that's not always so people-focused, but that it can be very administrative and um, task-oriented. And so for you, having experienced both just the counseling side of things and the pastoral side of things, um, where do you feel like you have most flourished in terms of dealing with people because I even think about like my own schedule and there's so many times where I'm like oh man I would love to get together with this person this person this person and then if I do that in a week and have a week full of meetings I feel like nothing gets done (laughs) and so then the next week it's catching up on the other side and so do you feel like for you being because you've experienced both part-time in ministry and full-time and just the way that it looks uh, on either side of that, did you enjoy more of the counseling, getting in, you know, deeper with people quicker, as opposed to having to worry about too much of the administrative stuff with ministry? Or where do you feel like your sweet spot was? Yeah. Is? I don't know if I could pick one or the other of those. Uh, I really, you know, I'm not doing ongoing counseling now with people. Typically, I'm, you know, I, I meet with people to if they have a need, we talk about the need and what the next steps might be for them. We might meet a couple of times, but, um, and, you know, I can I can put a, a program together, uh, admin, uh, administratively. I don't get a big kick out of that, but I'm glad to, you know, I'm glad when it works. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and. Uh, uh, but I, I enjoy meeting with people and, and getting to know them. Uh, so I don't know, you know, I, I've kind of been referring to myself in this new phase of ministry as a utility pastor. Mm. And so you want me to do that thing over there and lead that? Okay, I can do that. You want me to go talk to this person over here about something? Okay, well, let's do that. Or, right. you know, and... and um, Want me to preach on occasion? Yeah, that I can do that. And right. so, uh, you know, I think uh, my probably my default setting is is Bible teaching. Hmm. Uh, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to, you know someday maybe do a have a class where I just teach a book of the Bible or something. Yeah, uh, that that appeals to me. Hmm. That's good. So that's so with with your some of the things that you're doing now in this role, one of the things that you're in charge of is overseeing uh, the global partners mm-hmm. ministry. How do you feel like 
in terms of where they've come out of as a church, this healing internal moment and now looking more external, um, when it comes to the global partners team and the work that's being done around the world that we're a part of, how do you feel like the engagement level is from the congregation side? Because I remember even like growing up in churches that we would have these things that we were involved with, but that didn't, I felt very disconnected from that because it felt like that was something the church was doing and not me. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that was just out of being young and not, not having money to give towards something. Mm-hmm. But also um, I know that a big way that that connection happens too is the global partners emphasis um, where that's highlighted really well. But do right. you feel like that connection between the congregation and the things that greater Portland is involved in is, is a strong connection? I really do. Uh, I, you know, our, our relationship with our global partners, I think, is quite unique uh, because I think we have maybe 17 wow. now that we're involved with at some level. A couple of them are, are brand new, and we're not able to f- support them financially yet, but we're praying for them and mm. you know, want, want to be encouraging and supportive to them. Um, but except uh, of the 17, there may be four or five that have not been a part of our church at one point. So most of the others have been in the church, attending regularly for two or three or more years. Mm. Some have grown up here. uh, So there's a real personal connection with those people. So they were part of our community, and they still feel like part of our community, and we feel like they're part of us. Uh, So there's that very strong connection there. Uh, And I've been in churches, you know, pastor churches, where we supported the denominational missionaries. Right. And they would have to come through on their their furlough time and (laughs) speak to us. Their obligatory task. But but we didn't really support them directly. We gave money to the head office who then parceled it out, you know. But so there's a very strong personal connection with most of our, Mm. our folks now. And it's it's amazing. It's wonderful. Yeah. And our church is just so absolutely generous, and so it's, I mean, it's evident everywhere, but Global Partners, you know, we have a budget for supporting these Global Partners that rivals the whole budget of some churches of our size. Yeah. Uh, and... And it's its own budget, its own... Its own people budget. Give specifically toward it. Yeah, people pledge to it, and more often than that, not the... People give more than they pledged, and uh, we've been able to, you know, do cost of living increases, and and we are able to take care of emergency needs that the, they might have, or to help with a ticket home, or help buy a car, or things like that because of the generosity of, of our people. And that's especially folks who have been here while those global partners were part of the church. I right. feel very connected and. So now global, the, the GP emphasis is becoming more about helping the folks who are newer here identify with these to people. To know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and what they're doing. And, of course, now we have a couple of our global partners back are here for a while due to visa and immigration kind of things. And so I'm really glad that you know folks who are here now get a chance to, to know them and feel part of that community with them. Yeah. And I, our our global partners are remarkable people. Yeah, uh, it's crazy how much of a difference it makes for the 
um, for the congregation to be exposed in a way to where they're going to go, oh, yeah, I, I want to support this because I care about this person mm-hmm. um, and that how far that ends up going right. um, to motivate people. That's pretty cool. And I think, too, like the amount of partners that there are really help in terms of people having different heart motivations for wanting to support places because I know like, you know, there's people that have a heart to see, um, you know, a Christian impact into places that are primarily a Muslim world or, you know, like just these different areas all over the globe Mm -hmm. to have those different emphasis also I think is helpful rather than like, Hey, we just as a church are giving to this one person in this one place and this one, you know, right. and not that that's a bad thing, but I think it helps people connect to be able to have this broad spectrum over a map is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it is very, very strong personal connections. Yeah. And then talk to me real quick, just about discipleship stuff, because you have been kind of leading these, you started a, a pi- sort of a pilot pod to run through a year long program and then now that's kind of sifting out well um for a long time i've realized that we don't have any kind of intentional leadership development strategy and so i uh, thought well greg let me make that part of my job description now and so i identified uh, several young guys and Including uh, the one that's in the room with us now, yeah, Ethan, as as future leaders, yeah, and so I wanted to really that guy, huh? Future leader. Well, well, we're already seeing it, right? <laughs> we are. So, uh, I, and so I wanted to give them some principles of leadership from materials and things like that, and we started meeting, and there were four of them, and then one of the elders, Richard, was already in relationship with a couple of them, so he joined us. Um, and, but after just a, a couple of times, I began to realize that really leaders need to be disciple makers. Mm. Every leader should be making disciples. And so, well, let's, let's talk about how to make disciples first. And so we found some curriculum and kind of put together a strategy to, uh, to build a, a group of people, uh, men and eventually women who know how to take somebody from not knowing a whole lot to the first phases of being a disciple. And and so that has worked into more of a, a discipleship structure and strategy than just leadership development. And we're still refining it and still got some things to add to it. But yeah, we've had the first group, which Ethan was a part of, and um, Paulette's had a group with some women uh, I've got a second group with some guys, uh, leadership type guys that are, you know, in the next generation or two. Just started a third one. Wow. Our uh, bookkeeper Jack has started one with some some of his people. We're not trying to make it a program. Uh, it needs to be highly relational and not right. just a checklist of, you know, run through this pipeline and you're you're a disciple maker. But it's more about. Um, the relationships and about uh, uh, wanting to make make making disciples just a part of life, right? And the ultimate hope is that our 
purpose statement, you know, helping people follow Jesus together, which is about making disciples, uh, it becomes such a part of the fabric of our culture that we're all always thinking about, how can I help somebody that I know, um, you know, follow Jesus better? Right. Uh, how can I help them decide what the next step of their spiritual life is, yeah. is going to be? And, you know, that forward thinking kind of right. thing. And so that's where it started. Um, so we've got, you know, like three or four first generation groups and we're struggling to get second generation groups going, but that's really the, the, maybe the centerpiece of this whole strategy is reproduction, right? That it doesn't just end with the first generation, but that it continues. Uh, right. I did the math and I figured out that if we, everybody did what we said we would do, that we'd have the whole church disciple in about three years. That's pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it never happens like that. Right, uh, right. But the Lord knows, and there's no deadline. And, and totally. uh, it's not a hurry up and get it done kind of thing. It's uh, developmental and, a, a, uh, you know, as the Lord directs and leads yeah. kind of thing. And I think what's cool is just the, the relational po- portion of it because of how much of it is not you know, broadcast to the church and then, hey, if you want to join one of these groups, you sign up back here and all that, like it's personal asks and conversations right. that people are saying, hey, would you, because I think that that just shows so much more in terms of it, it puts an intentionality on those that are leading them to where yeah. you're not just sitting around and waiting for people to show up. Right. Um, yeah, there's no big recruiting push. Yeah. Uh, I think the word, the current today is organic. Yeah. So... Uh, we're encouraging people to invite folks who are already in their relationship circles to be a part of this. Not right. not going to put a thing in the bulletin or have a big announcement from the front or anything like that. Just we're inviting people we already know. And to, it just grows. And, to become, yeah. you know, and the people so far in this first generation are already disciples. Yeah. They love the Lord. They, they want to follow him. Uh, they're committed and so we're we're not talking about making them disciples. We're in, in, encouraging them to become disciple makers yeah. themselves. And so that's the emphasis right now. That's and awesome. I've had people come and want to be a part of one of these. And I say, well, not yet, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, somebody will invite you eventually if you really want to. But right, yeah, no, and that's awesome. And I think yeah, that organic way mimics more of what even just what we see in scripture of relationships between people, not only just Jesus and his own disciples, but even the early church and how connected, you know, even the correspondence that we have in the epistles is all, hey, so-and-so is with me, and oh, I heard from so-and-so, you know, like it's just so relationally based. And so to have something that develops so organically of happening within existing relationships, mm-hmm. I think, aligns more than, and probably feels less programmed where it's... Mm-hmm. Hey, here's the thing. Sign up your name on this line, and all you're gonna grow with Jesus. But yeah. instead, becomes relational, organic, and just natural. Yeah, and could hopefully influence the rest of the congregation. That's what we're hoping for. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Wayne, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it. I hope for everybody who's listened, it's been awesome to see just where you have come from uh, at your roots, what you've experienced in life and in ministry and even through your own family and and now just how there's so much I think 
what's awesome about someone like you is there's you you will never know the amount of lives that you've impacted through ministry like you won't um just because you over such a span of time there's so many people that you've probably influenced that didn't come up to you and go oh my gosh you changed my life this way but i think what's amazing to hear and for you to know is that there's such a a legacy of faith that's not only going to be passed down through your own kids, but through those that you have interacted with and led and walked alongside um, that I think uh, is really honorable and amazing to to the rest of us to see and, and to go, man, I hope that like I can have that same sort of impact and that same sort of life of faithfulness, uh, not only to Jesus in the church, but um, to the the people that you're closest to and that you're that God has placed you around, and so yeah. Um, I, I firmly believe that if the Lord can use you know somebody like me, He can use anybody. But uh, you're pretty awesome too. Well, <laughs> He's good and He's <laughs> gracious, you know, and He. Uh, like, you know, and so much of the things I've been in have not been even my choice. Yeah. Things he led me into and and uh, and the things that were accomplished were not part of my plan or strategy, but he still did it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that would be true for anybody yeah. who, who uh, seeks to walk with him and be available to him. Awesome. Well, again, happy birthday. Thank you. It's great to record on your birthday. This is your birthday present. This is all I've got yeah, for you. Great. So don't okay. expect anything else. <laughs> okay. Thanks. And, uh, yeah. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we look forward to uh, to being with you again. <laughs>